Hello and shalom, everybody. My name is Julia Jassy, and you are listening to Nice Jewish Girls, brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. On today's episode, we are talking with Jill Wagner, anchor at Cheddar News. I am so excited to have Jill on our show today. Beyond being an Emmy and Murrow Award-winning reporter, Jill embodies the story of real representation for the Jewish community. Somebody who uses their platform to bring to light the stories of anti-Semitism that so desperately need to be shared. In our conversation today, I hope to ask how she gained the bravery to discuss issues that affect her and her community publicly. How does being a journalist give her a particular lens with which to see representation for her community in the media? I am so excited for you guys to meet her. Let's do this thing. Jill Wagner is an anchor at Cheddar News. She is an Emmy and Murrow Award-winning journalist and the co-founder of Need to Know, a daily newsletter breaking down the day's top news stories. Jill is also the co-host of Cheddar's Need to Know podcast. Previously, Jill worked at CBS News, where she covered business, the stock market, and consumer issues for CBS Network and affiliate morning shows across the country. Jill was also honored to receive an Edward R. Murrow Award for a series in which she traveled to Auschwitz with Holocaust survivors, students, and World War II veterans who helped liberate the concentration camps. Jill, it's such an honor to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for for asking me to be on the podcast. Absolutely. Let's get right into it. So starting from the beginning, can you tell us a bit about your background as a Jewish woman? Uh, yeah, so I'm from originally Long Island, uh, actually, and I live there there now. <laughs> um, and, and I was from the North Shore of, of Nassau County, which is yeah, extremely yeah. Jewish. I grew up in a very Jewish community. Most of my friends were Jewish. I went to a, a Jewish sleepaway camp, mm-hmm. uh, but we did, we're not very religious, uh, more culturally Jewish. I, I think high holiday Jews is, is how you would describe how I grew up. And the irony, I think, is that because I was surrounded by so many Jews and as a kid, I thought, honestly, that everyone was Jewish, that Judaism in general uh, was not that important to me or that big a part of my identity at all. And, and in fact, I remember going to Hebrew school and absolutely hating it and not understanding why I had to go. And I remember having this conversation with my mom and she's like, no, no, you have to have a bat mitzvah. And I had this big meeting with my mom and the principal of the Hebrew school and I, I don't really know what happened, but I did wind up sticking it out. I was bat mitzvahed. Um, when I look back, I am extremely glad that that I was and that I had a bat mitzvah. Um, but it's just it's funny to me because it's in later in life, Judaism has become such so important to me. I mean, as regular listeners will know, I have a very similar story to you. I'm also from Long Island, also was a high holiday Jew growing up and also had something shift as I got older. Um, For you, what was that shift? What made you realize the importance of Judaism and come back into it? Well, so I'm still not very religious. I still (laughs) am a high holiday Jew, but I would say that Judaism and just being a Jewish person is much is much more important to me now. And that mostly happened when I was in college. So two of my girlfriends at the time were going on the March of the Living, which for people who are not familiar with it, it's a trip where students go to Poland to visit the concentration camps with Holocaust survivors. So the idea being that survivors are getting older. So when that last generation of survivors is no longer here, if you've been to a concentration camp with an actual survivor, then you become that next generation of survivor. Um, And and the irony is when I look back, 
I wanted to go on this trip mostly because I was interested in history, not really because I was Jewish. Um, and as expected, it was completely, completely life changing. Um, and it really just made me much more aware of my Judaism and, and just really changed it, basically everything in my life. Absolutely. And that college experience and things shifting, what was it like being a student, being a Jewish student, being a, a woman, being in this space where you are exploring your identity for the first time and it is shifting in real time? You know, it's 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 funny because I follow your account, for example, you know, the J Jewish on campus, and I did not have that type of experience. I went from growing up in a Jewish community on Long Island um, and really being in a bubble and not experiencing anti-Semitism at all. And, and really, as mentioned, not having Judaism be a huge part of my life. And then I went to college where I joined a Jewish sorority, but not because it was a Jewish sorority, I guess, just because that's <laughs> what my friends were doing. And it was where I, I, I felt most comfortable. Um, and I really didn't experience... I don't remember really or being aware of any anti-Semitism on campus. And I had just a very, I think, typical, what I would consider a typical college experience. And it wasn't really, again, until I went on this March of the Living, which I, I did in my sophomore year. Um, and then 9-11 happened actually in my senior year. So, so that was a lot uh, in terms of just shifting how I felt about the world and my place in the world and, and how I wanted to impact the world. So that was sort of happening in the, in the second half of my college uh, career. But in terms of just the idea of being a Jewish student, it, 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 it wasn't a huge part of it initially. And then it became much more important to me as we went on. I did undergrad at Michigan. So I was gotcha. in my senior year of Michigan um, when 9-11 happened. And then because of 9-11, mm -hmm. that was early on in my senior year. And I was like, what do I want to do? And I, I'd, I'd always thought maybe I would go into journalism. Um, and then when 9-11 happened, I, I realized that I wanted to really learn a bit more about other cultures and, and religion. And I, I have a master's in, in religion and political science from Columbia. Wow, that's that's really, really interesting. After you got that master's degree, you ended up coming into this field of media. How did you find your way here? Well, I've always loved writing. So that was the basis for, for my career in journalism. And initially, I wanted to be in print media, uh, actually. And, and I back when I was in college, it was Newsweek and Time. I read them every week. I got them delivered to my, to my house. And that is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a foreign correspondent for, for Time or Newsweek. Um, and, and I was really using what I had learned, not only at Michigan, but really at Columbia, where I wanted to go to the Middle East. I was I had studied Islam and I was learning Arabic. Um, and I would, again, this was right. If you think about it, it was 2003. We had just gotten into uh, the war in Iraq. We were already in Afghanistan. Uh, so I was thinking I was going to go and, and be a war correspondent. You know, that was initially what I had wanted to do. Um, but those jobs are not as easy to get as, as I had thought at the time when I was 23. Uh, so I wound up just applying for a, a bunch of internships anywhere that would have me. And I got a job over at, at New York One. I was an intern there. And that was kind of the, the, the start of it. It was my first real experience working in the field of journalism. And I, I realized that I did like video and broadcast. Um, at least at that point, I wanted to see where that could take me. So what have you found is 
the biggest difference into telling a story when you're writing it and when you're speaking it? So I like to write how I would speak. Um, and I think that that's how you do TV really well is to just be as conversational as possible. Um, and if my, I always learned that if, if somebody's, if somebody's watching you on TV, they're probably doing a bunch of things at the same time. Like they're probably cooking dinner and watching their kids and doing whatever else. So you have to just speak as simply and clearly as, as possible um, and not use any words that you wouldn't use in your real life. Uh, so in many ways, I find that um, that I, I just try and write as conversationally as possible. That's that's a really interesting point. And I think something to think about given that we are on a podcast right now. So if anyone's cooking dinner while they're <laughs> listening to this, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it's keeping them engaged. Um, that's really interesting. And one thing that, I mean, I've, when I was younger, I, I did some internships in, in the media world. And one thing I'd always learned about, um, one thing that I think is being challenged now is this idea of like historical sexism in the media field and how that's starting to really, really shift now. What's been your experience? Have you felt that it's had this massive shift or do you feel like there are still places where it needs to improve? Look, I have worked for many of the networks that have that have uh, been at the forefront and the center of the Me Too movement. I will say that I have actually had a really good experience in my career. I don't really feel like sexism. I, I haven't really felt that um, in terms of in terms of my career. I think there is a difference in the way older bosses who are sort of from that old guard. It was like a different era. Um, I have heard comments and things from them and, and even just stories that just simply would not fly anymore. Um, but just in terms of my own career and, and my relationship that I've had to men, um, whether they're bosses or colleagues, I haven't really felt any sort of sexism. And I've, I've kind of felt like we were all treated the same way. I do think, though, for women on camera, there is a certain pressure to look a certain way. Um, I feel a pressure in terms of just ageism, in terms of like, is there going to be a point where I I don't look a certain way anymore where it's just not going to fly where I'm always like, all right, I need a backup plan for when I'm, you know, when, when it's just not going to work for me to be on camera. So I think that that's a pressure that women feel that I don't necessarily think men feel. Absolutely. And do you see the field beginning to shift in more positive ways away from that? Or do you think this is still something that has to contend with? Yes and no. In some ways, I think that we are a more open society, but I tend to, I think with social media, it's actually gotten worse. I think mm -hmm. that, um, and this is not any judgment on my part, but just like, like there used to be in terms of, in terms of just, it was just much more, more conservative in terms of the way people dressed on air and, and looked and, you know, when, if you were a journalist, it was like a very different type of career. And I think the lines are just getting blurred more. And that's for better or worse, right? I think that it's it's good that that women can be a little bit more comfortable with themselves and feel like they can be fashionable and post pictures and stuff. But I, I do feel like that pressure to look a certain way, I, I, I still think that that's there. And I think social media has made it a little bit worse. Yeah, I mean, something that's really hard about social media now is that even when you're off camera, you're always kind of on camera in a sense, where anything you do, anything that you post or someone takes a picture of you just out and about, 
it could all be online forever. And so when you're someone who is on the air every day, how do you kind of balance that and take that break between social media and your personal life so it's not like you're chronically kind of in the workspace? It's really hard um, because I do feel that pressure to have a presence on social media just in terms of staying relevant. Um, at the same time, there has you have to put your phone down um, and in just and kind of be present in your personal life. And I have a, a young daughter that I, I want to be there for when I'm when I'm home and that's my time. Also, my husband is pretty private, so he doesn't really like me to share a lot of photos of him. And it's it's I it's totally I get it and I really respect that. And I think that in some ways that that's helped me because it's allowed me to to have a, a bit of a divide between my personal life and my professional life. So one thing that you also talked about earlier in the podcast was personal experiences that really influenced you going into this field. So you talked about going to visit Auschwitz, talked about 9-11, you talked about these experiences that really spoke to you. Um, and one thing I'm really curious about was last May, there was obviously the increase in, in violence and and Israel and in Gaza. And with that came a huge conversation in, in the news. And for Jewish people, for Palestinian people, for anyone who are affected, this is a personal issue, not even just an objective one too. How do you balance when there are stories that do touch you personally? How do you balance your personal feelings on it and the objectivity that has to come with reporting it? It is a really good question because I think we like to think that journalists are, are totally unbiased and objective. And that that really is the goal. But ultimately, we do all have our own experiences that shape how we see the world. I guess, look, ultimately, facts are facts and you have to stick to a story um, in terms of what happened earlier in, in May. I mean, that just opened up so much anti-Semitism and, and it was frightening. It was it was frightening for me personally because I, I send my daughter to a Jewish school. And I was nervous every single time, every day, that there could potentially something could happen, you know, and I, I don't even want to say it out loud. Um, and then I did, actually. I mean, I, 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 it was all encompassing. I was so incredibly worried about her safety um, and even my own safety, having a mezuzah on my door. I've just never experienced, you know, we, I think as Jews in this country, we'd never really experienced anything like that just open, visceral anti-Semitism that was just targeting all Jews uh, just simply because they were Jewish. Um, and I did open up about that on, on my podcast one day. And I and I just I kind of, you know, the, my podcast of and, and I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I do feel like I've been on camera in terms of TV. I've written some articles, but there is something really, really intimate about podcasting in general. And I find that I have the deepest connection with with an audience through podcasting. And I just, you know, opened up and I was talking to my co-host, Carlo, and I was like, I, I told him, like, I'm just, I'm scared. I'm really scared as a Jewish person right now and as a Jewish mother right now in this country. Um, and I just kind of just, just very openly discussed how I was feeling um, and, and unrelated to what was happening in the Middle East, right? Like trying to keep politics out of it, but, but trying to show how I felt it, it just emotionally. Um and I was overwhelmed by the responses, actually. I mean, I I was I do a, a morning show after my podcast. And by the time I got off from the morning show, I my inbox was filled with emails from our listeners, many of whom were not Jew most of whom were not Jewish, just saying, you know, 
I'm with you. You know, you I, I you may not feel like you know you may feel alone right now, but I, you know I have your back, and and you know what's going on is not okay. So uh, that was. I, I guess like, I think being honest and talking about this stuff is really important. Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting, the point that you brought up about your podcast, because it's different experience than being on the air and talking about the news. It's something that you get to share your story with. What inspired you to to really do that, to have that platform where you can speak on off the air, but on on the record? Well, so I had started many, many years ago, um, this the newsletter that you'd mentioned, the, the Need to Know newsletter. Um, I co-founded that with a friend of mine. And this was like, this was before a lot of the competitors that are out there were around. And, and we, I had realized that I was this news reporter and yet none of my friends were really watching local news at that point. And so they, but yet they wanted to know what was going on in the world. So I, we created this, the need to know newsletter where we basically broke down the stories of the day, but really made it conversational and funny and would try to add light commentary just to make it a little bit more palpable for people. Like we used to say, it's like, um, you know, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down. It was just <laughs> it was kind of light way to get the news. Um, and then many years later, I wound up selling the newsletter to cheddar. Um, and, and through that, one of the ideas was that we should have a podcast. It just seemed like the natural next step. And the tone of the, of the podcast is, is trying to be similar to, to what the tone of the newsletter is, which is here's the news, but it's, it's me. And then, uh, like I mentioned, my, my co-host Carlo and we're just friends. We're breaking down the news and we are putting our opinion in where, you know, not not overly where it's like this opinion. You know, it's it's not meant to really be an opinionated podcast, but we do try to give a couple of different perspectives on news stories. Um, so it was really just kind of the next iteration of what we were doing with the newsletter. And it it has been one of the most fulfilling things I have done in my career. Really interesting because you talked about the struggle you were having with your friends where they weren't listening to to the news, they weren't watching the news. So you first adapted and made this newsletter and then you adapted again and made the podcast. And it's, it's interesting because your career seems to be evolving in real time with the way that news is evolving in real time. We're changing the way that we're getting the news and you're changing the way that you're giving the news. Um, how has that been professionally for you, A? And B, where do you see that going again in the future as things continue to shift online? I mean, technology has absolutely changed everything. (laughs) I mean, not only just every facet of life, really, but it's had a huge impact on on the media in general and on journalism. Um, And I, I think that that's for better or and worse. You know, I think in some ways, like we've said, it's just, I think you've got, First of all, it used to be that I started out, I was actually um, an assignment editor for a network where I, we tried, I coordinated the news, basically. I coordinated news coverage. And it used to be that if there was a fire somewhere or, or, whatever, or whatever, you had to make phone calls and you had to call the fire department or you had to try to find a local business. Now you could just go on Twitter and find out what's happening in, in, in basically two seconds with pictures and video and you could message people and say, what are you seeing? So in that sense, like the world is a lot smaller than it used to be. So that's great. Um, you know, but I think the technology, it's it's been hard for newsrooms in general. And I'm not sure if this is what you were asking me, but, you know, in terms of just where the news business is going, uh, Google and Facebook, for better or worse, have really 
like you know, that's where the advertising money goes. And unfortunately, you see newsrooms that have just been decimated. Um, and and there have been so many cuts in the fields of journalism, especially uh, on the local level. So I used to work, I was at a station in Lansing, Michigan, and that's where I really kind of just learned how to be a reporter. And, you know, we so often when we talk about politics and things that there, you know, we talk about the presidential election or national politics, but at the end of the day, what really affects people's lives is local stuff and local rules and local laws and in, in your county executive or you, whatever it is, your village uh, town clerk or whatever, whatever that may be. And th that's the stuff that's just not getting covered anymore because there have been so many cuts to journalism. So so that's the downside. So technology has made things easier. It is easier to cover things. It's easier to get to events. It's easier to go live. Um, there's just more access to people. You could do interviews via Zoom. You don't need to necessarily, you know, you can interview someone across the country via Zoom. So much is possible uh, because of technology, but so much as well has been lost, I think, just because there have been so many cutbacks. And how do you think we balance those two things? How do you think we can bring the excitement back to local news and, and emphasize the importance of listening to it and how it affects people on an individual level using technology as a way to do that? I think we are starting to see that there's some new newsletters that have come out that are trying to really focus on local markets. So I think that that's huge. But one of the areas that I think I'm most optimistic about when it comes to journalism is podcasting. And not to not to harp on it so much because I know we're <laughs> obviously on a podcast, but I do feel like hey, podcasting, <laughs> it is it is the one area, at least I, I feel this way, both as somebody who creates news via podcast or, or is, is has a daily podcast every day that's a news podcast and also a consumer of podcasts on it allows there's you're allowed nuance you're allowed to go in depth into topics it's 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 a I find it's it's I think one area I'm just so much more encouraged about because I, so much of what we're doing is trying to get like, you know, a viewer or you know, getting a crazy soundbite and, and things like that and or just grabbing people's attention with headlines. But podcasting, you're in some way, sometimes you're talking to somebody, you know, a podcast is a half an hour or 45 minutes. That's a lot of time to, to try to understand one topic. So I think that that's great. I think it's a really positive step for the industry. Absolutely. I mean, I can't help but agree with you given that we are on, <laughs> on a podcast right now. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> That really brings us to our last question and how we like to end every podcast here at Nice Jewish Girls. So what really inspired me and the whole team here to start this podcast was wanting to give everyone, but in particular young women, access to mentors they probably will never meet in fields they probably never considered before. So listening to the show, the hope is that they can feel like they have more advice moving forward into the future. So with that in mind, What's one piece of advice that you'd want to give a younger listener about navigating the world in general right now and particularly as a Jewish woman? I think that um, as a Jewish woman, I would say uh, just try and be proud of, of who you are, because I think that. I, I've never I've never seen, you know, the anti-Semitism be as bad as it is right now. I've just never felt it. And it's 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 more prevalent in younger populations. 
um, which is wild because younger demographics in general are just so much more open. So it's it's the only prejudice and that's growing in younger people. Um, so I would say as a, as a Jewish person, just try to, you know, be proud of who you are. Um, in general, my advice to, to women who are starting out in their career is to, to really follow your gut. And I know that that's kind of a cliche and everyone says it, but it, it, they say it because it's true. Um, I've always been led in the right direction when I followed my, my gut. And my biggest career regret, which I don't totally want to get into, is, is one where I didn't follow my gut in a situation. Um, and then the other piece of advice that I, I would want to give is, is I think that especially when you're starting out, obviously, you know, people have drive and want to succeed in their careers. And there's this competitiveness that takes hold. But I've found that I've gotten further and and I've gotten more help from friends of mine in the industry. And so I just would recommend that while it's good to be competitive, especially with yourself, um, try to develop real relationships with your colleagues because it's through them that you're probably going to learn about what's going on in your industry, learn about opportunities. It, it gives you somebody to talk to if you're having a bad day. Uh, it's just really important to remember that it, it's you need to have friends, you need to have allies, um, and and you need to just have people who are on your side. Um, and and I, I just I think that for me that that served me well uh, just throughout my career. Jill, it has been an incredible honor to have you here. Thank you for the time. Thank you for the wonderful advice. And thank you for joining us today here on Nice Jewish Girls. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. You know, we spend so much time as a community talking about the really upsetting news of anti-Semitism growing around the world. And for good reason. It's daunting beyond belief and it deserves to be acknowledged. But when Jill told us her story today, I heard a hope in her voice that's so rare to hear. When she took a leap of faith and went public with her stories, what she received, more than any backlash, more than any hatred, more than anything, was support. Sure, it doesn't make her work any less challenging, nor does it make her bravery any less great. But it makes her hope so much more enduring. She was given support, and it's that support that we cling to. It's that support that we all deserve. And this, my friends, is where we'll leave you for today's episode of Nice Jewish Girls. Hopefully a bit smarter and a bit more inspired. Your feedback is crucial to making this show the best it can be. So contact us at podcasts at jewishimpact.com. And as always, do not forget to join us next week when we'll be speaking with social media influencer Jordan Tilchin. Nice Jewish Girls, the production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Rivki Stern is our producer, and I am your host, Julia Jassy. Check out jewishunpacked.com for everything Unpacked related, and subscribe to our other podcasts. Don't forget to follow Unpacked at all of the social media places. Just look for at Jewish Unpacked. Talk to you later, ladies. <laughs>